and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. And Tori Wilson, I am so pleased to have you as my guest and to be able to share your story. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jules. It's great to be here. My absolute pleasure. So what we're going to start off with is telling everybody what you do now. So tell everyone about all you're an amazing woman with more than one bow in your arrows or arrow in your quiver or whatever the expression yeah, is. Yeah, so, something in your cap or something. Yeah. <laughs> feathers in your cap. There you go. Yeah, off you that's go. That's the one. Um, thanks, Jules, for the opportunity. I run Dottori Publishing, so that is the umbrella company for three different businesses, all of them <laughs> in book publishing. Yeah. So originally we started off with Post Pre-Press, which has been going since the 70s, which I took over, which is primarily a typesetting business for traditional publishers. So we work with Penguin and Pan Macmillan and University Presses and so oh, on. Oh, do you still do that? I still do that. That's still a big part of my business. We wow. still do a lot of that. I don't um, think I realised it was with such big companies. Oh, yeah, big companies. And, you know, smaller publishers like a firm yeah. who are in Melbourne and they do some amazing books. Uh, so I get to see some really, you know, we get Jane Harper and Matthew uh, Riley and Ooh, those my books God, I love come Matthew in the Riley. door. So we're really lucky to see those before anybody else does. So and right. see what hits the cutting oh, how room incredibly floor. cool. So we've worked on some prime ministers, ex prime ministers books, and we get to see, you know, a lot of what doesn't make the book. And of course, I can't talk about that because. That's all under no. embargo. But <laughs> Not unless you want to be sued. No, no, I don't want to be sued. But, you know, I do get the <laughs> privilege of getting that insider, um, yeah. you know, knowledge that, mm-hmm. you know, can be really interesting at times. Um, and then I have Independent Inc., which is a production company for all genres of self-publishing authors, and we work with our authors from their draft manuscript, helping them with editing, um cover, internal design, everything to getting it uploaded and doing the online distribution. But and so so oh that is a complete service. So that's literally, you know, I've got an idea of doing a book, what do you think, through to you're editing it if we write it. Yeah, you've got to we don't do any writing coaching with that one. So we do a lot of like children's books, cookbooks, okay. uh, fiction, some memoirs. Um, one of the big things we're seeing more of at the moment is um historical fiction based on fact. So we've got a few authors that have oh. written about, you know, their um, ancestors and things like that. So that's- And do you also do those um, kind of books where, which I'm seeing more and more of, and I know we're considering it in She's the Boss as well, where um, an organisation will get, you know, each uh, there's different people who write different chapters? We have done some of those. We actually okay. worked with Mia Friedman on her book uh, Lady Starter. Okay, so I was supposed to be in that book and never made it. You never made it? Oh, no. Jules, My story's not? not interesting enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I find that hard to believe. I find, yep. <laughs> That's another story. Uh, so, yes, we have done those. Um, so everything, yeah, we've just such a big variety of books in that, but we don't do any writing coaching there, but we do everything else. Okay. And then Indie Experts, which is just for nonfiction business authors, where primarily we work with our authors over a period of a year from the seed of an idea 
helping them plan their book, making sure they're writing the books that they need to write that actually Oh, right. Works. So that's really holding your hand through the whole holding process. Holding your hand, you know, because a lot of authors won't think about the end stage until they've got to the end stage and then they realise they haven't written the book that they need to write. Yeah. So we actually look at that right from the get-go um, and start planning with the end in mind before they've even picked up the pen because that's really, really important. Yeah. So we work you- with them through the writing, then actually doing all the production with them, so the same thing, the editing, the cover design, getting it online, online distribution, and then looking at the what's next because some of our authors will want to do speaking, some will want to do, you know, create online courses, some are just writing books to give to their give to their clients. You know, there's nothing else more than that. We have worked with some authors that they just want something to, to value add to their clients. So every right. author is different. And there's no right or wrong. It's just a matter of working with the author right from the beginning to actually work out what they want to do. And sometimes that desire changes in the process. Sometimes they might decide, you know, at the beginning, you know, they just want to do an online course. But then they realise, no, what I've actually got to share is so valuable to people, I'm going to do a lot of speaking. And we have worked with an author recently that that was her journey. You know, she actually came away from that book writing process, learning a lot about herself, learning a lot about the value that she gave to people, but also how much more that there was to learn and that she was doing that through the writing process and we'll probably have another book in her and she's completely changed from that journey of working with us. And so, you know, a lot of it can be, Counseling's not the right Quite word. Quite transformational. Yeah, it can be. You know, it's you know, you really sort of learn a lot about yourself. Yeah. Oh, and you got. I mean, you've got so much sort of background and history in it that I would have thought that that makes you pretty unique. And of course, I love it that it's run by a woman. But um, to yeah, have I- all that, because the, the printing industry, from having worked in books and publishing myself in the past, is very male dominated. So to have a woman who's heading up all of that, and then and then the breadth of your experience makes you pretty unique, I would have thought. I think I am pretty unique, especially in the fact that I still work with traditional publishers and self-publishing authors, and I don't dismiss either. I, you know, there is certainly great value in going with a traditional publisher yep. if, um, you know, if you get picked up by one. And there is also, you know, for some authors that is not the right path for them. The yeah. self-publishing yeah. path is a better path. And there's also, you know, the path of a hybrid authors, a hybrid publishing, which is a whole other story as well. So, you know, there are, you know, different paths for different people and we all, you know, just need to work out what works for Yeah, and and who who knew there were so many different paths? All right, now um, I'm going to have to ask you the juicy question, which I love, which is probably a pre-press question, I would think, if that's the umbrella Mm -hmm. thing. But why did you set it up? What happened that made you decide to go into publishing in the first place? Um, It was the journey that I was on, really. It wasn't something that just went like some people have these, you know, the passion to go in there. It's not I've always loved books. And right. I was actually working in post pre-press as the bookkeeper back, oh, well, over, you know, 10 years oh, ago. Oh, right, as the bookkeeper. As the bookkeeper. That's and your then, way in. Yeah, as a way in. And then uh, it was probably 2012 
um, one of our major, major clients at that time decided that they were taking all their work in-house. So ebooks were becoming a big thing then. It was all really changing in the publishing industry. Um, right. Everything was going digital and Alan owned the business at the time. He was in his 70s, I think he was about 75, and just went, I can't do this again. So we were actually either going to close down or um, he decided that, you know, he just more or less gave it to me and we, yeah, just decided to. What a lovely guy. Yeah. And at the time I had two staff members who were approaching retirement and, oh, gosh. you know, they wouldn't have got another job. And it was like, okay, let's just give it a go, see how we go. If it works, it works. I was also at that time going through um, a very interesting stage um, with my family uh, we sort of had a few health issues with one of my children. So it oh, was gosh. a big time for me to realise that I needed to do something for myself. I've got four kids and I worked in my husband's business and my husband at the time, he's, he's a builder, yeah. and I always worked in that business. But, you know, it was never my own. It was never my own thing. So it was a big moment for me to go, no, I need to do something for myself. So, oh, I love it. I took it over and we gave it a go. And you know, it's been a lot of ups and downs. The publishing industry has been, um, you know, through a lot of changes. Challenging. And you know, I hadn't, you know, or I'd always had experience working in my husband's business, yeah, but I hadn't, you know, actually had a full time role since I was <laughs> 25. And how uh, old were you at this stage then? So I'm 55 now. I was 45. So I hadn't okay, actually so had a full-time so job for 20 years. So you've been doing it for 10 years. years. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm I'd, so glad you did take it. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really pleased that I, you know, <laughs> took the mad, crazy leap of faith that I could do it. But, yeah, it was a – mentally it was a challenge and, you know, there's been a <laughs> – a lot of learning curves along the way. I bet. Well, well, that that is just the perfect segue into my next question, which is we're going to go right back to when you were a girl. I'm interested to know what kind of a family you grew up with and where, and then how your career has evolved till now. So, but let's go back first to: Did you have any brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. Did you like school? You know, what did your <laughs> mum and dad do? Um, okay, so I'm the eldest of five. I've got two oh, sisters goodness. and two brothers. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all in that order. My next sister down is 16 months younger than me, so we're probably the closest out of um, right. all of them. I My father is from a Sardinian, Italian background, so we're all- Is that the Dottori? That's the Dottori, yes. Right. So, and my mother's one of 12, so- Family's always been oh really. Oh, my God, Anne. Yeah. They are big families. That's a lot of aunts and uncles. Yes, a lot of aunts and uncles. I've got something like 50 cousins. I've, <laughs> you know, I grew wow. up with family being the core part of everything that we did that was just, you know, it was always family. That yes, yeah, yeah, lots of people with. around. And so what about value. school? Were you good at school? Uh, was I good at school? Um Recently, I've been looking back at my report cards. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the usual, if Anne just focused, if Anne just did a bit of work. Oh, really? You got that as well. So, uh, yeah. I got okay. that as well. I think um, that entrepreneurs got that in general. <laughs> I remember sitting there, especially in high school, you know, sitting down to class 
looking out the window and then suddenly the bell would go and the class had finished and I wouldn't have a clue what the hell had gone <laughs> on. I just, you know, I was the, uh, look, I was not a good student particularly. I wasn't a shocker, but I do feel sorry for some of my teachers. I remember being in a history class and getting up and walking out and my teacher, he would go, where are you going, And Oh, and I just go, oh, you're boring me, so I'll be back. <laughs> We had a French teacher, I think it was a French teacher like that, who had the unfortunate name of Madame Fuchik, which was F-U-C-I-K. So oh. we had a lot of fun with that. Oh. And she could not deal with this room full of women, uh, room full of girls. And she used to come in and go, girls, I, honestly, when you all calm down, come and get me. I'm going to go and sit on the steps outside. And we'd go, great, off you go. <laughs> and we'd never go and get her. <laughs> It was so oh, funny. But, yeah. I mean, you th- now as an adult, I think, what a nightmare. But um, oh, yeah. at uh, the time we thought we were very smart. Oh, no. And, yeah, look, I was really lucky. I went to um, Loretto, which is an, a girls' school. and but I forgot to ask what state. Where, where did you grow Queensland. up? Queensland. Queensland, okay. So, but, like, when I – we were always encouraged. So this was the 1980s and it was still, you know, very much – Boys did this and girls did this, but where yeah. we were always encouraged to actually do whatever we wanted to. If we wanted to, you yeah. know, become an astronaut, then follow that dream. So I was really lucky in that regard to go to that sort of school where we weren't told you couldn't do things because you were a girl. Yeah. Um, I had the same was- experience. It makes a huge difference, doesn't it? In sen- just in terms of. You know, when I left school and met other girls who say, no, no, you can't do that. And you go, what do you mean you can't do it? And they'd go, no, no, no. And you realise it's ingrained quite young about whether you think you can do whatever you want to do or whether you think that you have to sort of abide by rules. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, and I think, you know, that's the school system adds a lot to that. You know, it is, you know, our family and what we grow up with. But, you know, that story that we're told as we're, you know, in by teachers and people that we supposedly respect and look up to, you know, it stays with us. And even like if I think back to, you know, my English teacher and, you know, that sort of thing, when I was writing my book, you know, I had to get over all of that stuff that right. was in my head as well, you know, because I didn't go into this in the traditional um, path of, you know, I had a very brief stint at university and then I literally lasted not even six months, and then I went off travelling. So I didn't go into, you know, publishing in the same way as a lot of people. I've, as all I've the academics that, who come out yeah, of like English learned, literature degrees. <laughs> yeah, I've learned sort of the hands-on way. I, You know, I did my apprenticeship in-house, so to speak. Yeah, so but I think I've, that that's... You know, I mean, now we're older, we know that that's really much more valuable than sitting in a classroom and being told how things should be done um, to be more hands-on about it. So um, that's great. So so you've just alluded a little bit to what you did when you finished school. So what did, what did you do? A tiny bit of uni? Tiny bit of uni. I went and started studying um, environmental science back then and okay. quickly realised probably – in hindsight, it was a silly thing to think that all I could do was teaching back then, and right. I knew I'd be a shocking teacher. So, <laughs> and you might have been a great teacher and really let all the rebels get away with it. Well, maybe, maybe. Well, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, but I just think I probably I wasn't ready for uni. I yeah. I needed time, and I look. I left school with two. You know, my two goals. I remember I wanted to own a convertible. 
and I wanted to travel overseas. They were my big ticket things. Yeah. So <laughs> university pretty good. I think they're pretty cool goals. <laughs> so did you get to travel? I I got my convertible first and then I travelled. <laughs> I left Australia at just a month after my 21st birthday. Right. And I went On your four, own or with friends? On my own. On my right. own. Um, with the idea of where, where were you off to first? I was doing a four-month holiday. I was going. I just went to London and I, right. I winged it. And a week oh, so you be- didn't know anyone. You just went, I'm going to do it. I knew one of my friends that I went to school with and I'd lived with for because um, I moved out of home at 18. So I moved right. in with Kath and she was over there. But, you know, we didn't have mobile phones back then and I was trying to find her and I couldn't find, couldn't get hold of her. But she must have heard somehow through the grapevine that I was coming over and a week before I left she rang my parents' house. So oh, my God. They picked me up from the airport and I, I had no plans. I just went. I, you know, I look back and I think, oh, if my children did this, I'd be horrified. <laughs> but I think so, there's a lot of things we look back on our lives and go, oh my god, if my kids did it, I'd kill oh, them. But god, I know that's no so brave media. of you, though, that and adventurous. I well, yeah, I was, and I went for a four month holiday, and I stayed for um, seven and a half years. Wow, so is it was yeah, always all in London. I, lived I mean, I in know London. from London you can travel, but I did a lot of traveling. There? But yeah, I lived in London and I met um, Richard over there. And we. Who's Richard, hubby? Richard's my ex husband. Yep. So we got engaged, we got married, we bought an, an apartment that we did up, which because it was a. <laughs> you'd be horrified <laughs> if you saw it. <laughs> Was it was a squat when we bought it, and so it required. Where was it? It was in West Hampstead. It was very flash. Oh my and god! It's lovely. For now. anybody that doesn't know England, that's actually a very. It's where all the movie stars live now. It is, and I went back and walked past it recently, and it's just like, oh, why did we sell it? Oh my lord! Oh, but you but all. Anyway, but you know, we. I think we all. Thing. Yeah. Have those regrets? Yeah, but um, <laughs> so yeah, we lived there for. We had our first child over there, and. Then right. it was, it was at that time where you know you have your baby. You know, well, you know what it's like when you have a child over here. You know what it's like growing up. You have your backyard. You've got all those things. And in London, when you're on the third floor, you know, apartment, and you're like, this is not yeah. how you bring up a kid. It's very, di- yeah. It, it's not what you want for your child, no, I guess. Well, after a if, while, I think if you if you've grown up like that, it's really really different, and it's what you know. But yes. when you haven't, it's you know you know yeah, what you're no, missing I agree. out on. And so it was like I'm, um, you know. So we came home to be right. My so family. back to Queensland, back to and Queensland. then what? Um, so then, well, set up life over here. Ended up having another three children. Another We're, three. I mean, four kids is a lot. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, absolutely crazy. Keeps you but very great. Poor. Uh, great, but crazy. Um, then, yeah. So we had our renovation business. So I worked in that for a number of years. You know. So you're doing that and being a mum and that was keeping you busy. Keeping me busy but, you know, always in um, the back of my mind I always knew that there was, you know, you're giving everything for everybody else and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing but for me I knew that there was something else that I needed to do for me and that sort of really played on my mental health for a good while. All right. You know, there was a lot of working through that. I think, you know, as every mum knows, that you 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 love your kids, you love what you do, but you also 
you give a lot and there's a lot of giving. And there's that, a lot of giving there's right a lot from of the giving. moment that they come out. And yeah. I remember I used to describe it as relentless. <laughs> yeah, and it, it can have a profound effect. Well, it had a profound effect on me and, yep. you know, I had to learn I had to learn to give to myself. I had to learn to stop controlling everything because I may be a slight control freak. Um, <laughs> and I had to learn that, you know, that my children would be okay if I didn't control every aspect of their life. So that's sort of part of the journey of going into um, taking over post prepress and doing all of that was part of that, you know, letting go of part, you know, of that part of my life and building the other part. So how me. did you start at prepress? Was that that moment when you went, I, I need to do something? So did you, ha you went and did a little bookkeeping course or something? I did it. Yes, I did a bookkeeping course. Well, I'd always done bookkeeping. That was the sort of thing that I was doing for, oh, for your husband's businesses. Yes, yeah, so I'd always had that. And then right. yeah, I just sort of had a couple of clients where I'd go and do, you know, a few hours here and there. So I was think I was working in post prepress a day a week or something like that, or two mornings a week for a few years. So that's right. sort of how I got into doing that. And it was, yeah, part of that, you know, getting out and doing something. Other yeah, than yeah, which is just raising children. <laughs> I mean, any mum will. I mean, I always remember just going back to work and thinking, "Wow, I can sit and eat my sandwich in peace, or go to the toilet and not have kids coming in." I mean, it's yeah, those tiny just, little things that make such a big difference. I'm just interrupting for a second to tell you about our new podcast, "She's the Boss Leaders." It is filled with more amazing interviews of incredible women. These ones are from all around the world. So I have people from India, from Iceland, from London, New York, and different parts of America, and of course, Australia. So go and subscribe to She's the Boss Leaders. You are really going to love it. And the video interviews are on the YouTube channel. Okay, so then you took on pre-press. How did the other two businesses come about? Um, well, Independent Inc. came about first because that was oh, 2015, 2016. You were really, really seeing um, self-publishing take off. Yeah. And I was hearing about and seeing just a lot of people getting really, really ripped off with yep. shoddy work, you know, yep, people I just coming. I've heard so yeah. many stories like that too. Coming onto the market, no experience saying, I can help you self-publish your book or, you know, we're offering all for, the services. Yeah, but for a small 27000 or yeah, 22000 But don't worry, you can pay me back over five years. You know, I'm like still it's hearing that <laughs> as well, that it's still going on. And there's also now um, a lot of confusion between what is a traditional publisher and what I would classify as a hybrid publisher. Some of them would, some people refer to it as a vanity publishing um, where you will, you know, you get asked to pay, say, $10,000, $15,000. They do all the, you know, all the author services that I do, but then yep. they own the rights and then they're supposed to be doing all the marketing. Oh my and God, the really? So there's some that where, where they pay that much and they don't own the rights afterwards. That's right. <gasps> oh, and that's just criminal. 
So there is still a lot. And people get confused and they're thinking that that's a traditional publishing model. It's not a traditional publishing no. model. A traditional if- publishing model is you do not pay anything up front. They will no. own the rights. You, They might pay you a, um, an advance if you're a first-time author, highly unlikely, but then yep. you will get royalties on books sold. So it's still up to you to and help market your book. And they, they promote it and they put it in the bookstores. They do, but it's also right. on you to promote it as well. You can't yeah. expect a traditional publisher with lots and lots of um, authors to, you know, spend all their budget on your book. You need to be no. able to... You well, know. certainly through Handle Your Own PR, I've been on the receiving end of people who have authors who've published books. They've done it through someone um, who said that they would include PR and they do one media release and send it out and got nothing and that's the end of it. There's no yeah. more, you know, so a lot of them will come then and say, okay, now I need to do my own PR. How do I do it? Yeah. And so with indie <laughs> experts, you know, we sort of say, look, we'll help you with a bit of the initial PR, which, you know, which is only one or two press releases. But we tell people that right from the get-go. This is what you get. It's not ongoing PR. Um, And even with a traditional publisher, you will get uh, PR in the initial stages, but it's not going to be ongoing because they don't have the budgets for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are these companies, and I've just, I've heard recently more and more Stories of people working with these hybrid publishers not realising that that's not the traditional model, that it is, you Uh, know. So you might go, like I've heard of one author who paid the $10,000, got a number of books as part of that package, but really the editing and everything was pretty much non-existent. Yeah. And I think we've all read, and there are so many books that come out that haven't got a gatekeeper, and the language or the, you know, just the grammar and every and the substance, the content is just really substandard. Mm. And 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 there should be people who are, you know, if they are working with a publisher, the publisher should say this is not ready to go out yet. But anyway, exactly, exactly. You know, but- I guess that stuff. So. Um, Okay, so you're doing all of this now. Now let me ask you a little bit more about running a business and some of the challenges that you've had along the way, if you're up for sharing them, of course. But um, I think that... I think it's probably fair to say now that most people hopefully don't think that it's all an easy little, you know, straight straight trajectory up to success, that there's a lot of wiggling around that can happen. But um, I, I myself have had a number of times where things have happened where I feel like it could potentially was a disaster and you sort it out and you look back at it later and you go, actually, I'm really glad in some ways that happened and I had to go through that because it put me in another direction that is a better one. Have you had any experiences like that or any insight, any stories really? Tell me oh, all. <laughs> I think every every business has examples of that. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me that really changed how I look at what we do is when COVID hit and prior to that, um, if you'd asked me if I thought the team could work remotely, I would have just laughed at you and went, hell no. Um, and we now, we're now we now all remote. We offer we have a very different working environment, which okay. has had its challenges as well. You know, not having everyone around makes it very flexible for the team. They can, you know, I was, certainly one of my staff members, he has um, 
his daughter has autism. So, you know, he'll often get up really, really early in the morning and work, then might take a few hours break. So that sort of, that has taught me, you know, that I can change the model, that I can do things differently. Yeah, well done. Um, What about when, uh, sorry, it just occurred to me as I was asking that question, what about when books started going digital? And by those days, I imagine in those days you were working at pre-press. How did that affect you when you started seeing Kindle come out, for instance, and people going, I don't know that I need to publish, I'll just do it on. I mean, obviously with the typesetting that still needs to be done. Yeah. So back then we weren't working with self-publishing authors, so that didn't really affect us. But what did happen was, so that time, that's when I took over the business right. and we were really seeing the pub, the publishers get nervous, really seeing them actually looking at their models and wondering how they're going to make their money. So that sort of impacted who they were working with and right. how they were doing things. So that's sort of why we lost one of our clients um, pretty much overnight because they decided that they were. And what did you do then? What do you do when you lose a big client Oh, we had to um, make redundancies. So we basically Mm. halved the staff numbers and we had to do that over a period of about six weeks. Oh, how devastating. It was horrible. I can imagine. That was the time when I took it over, you know, we were getting staff were sort of um, getting made redundant in that traditional stage, in that transition stage. Oh, so you were feeling doubly bad because you'd just come in and then you had to get rid of people that you knew. Yeah, yeah, and it's horrible. And, you know, you run things on a shoestring, you, you know, we didn't have a website when I took it over, so we're sort of doing all of that. But, you know, doing it all on, yeah, yeah, the budget was next to nothing, learning a whole different – I knew nothing about setting up a website. I knew nothing <laughs> about, you know, that whole thing about social media and transition. Yeah, I had social media, but doing it with business and personally, you know, integrating the two, uh, yeah, finding my when own – you think about it, we've learned so much our generation, haven't oh, we? <laughs> we have. And yet, I've, you know, still some of the younger generation – might call me a boomer every now and then and dismiss how much we've had to learn because, you know, I'm 55. It's been a huge learning curve and also that learning curve around running a business, being a mum and putting that face out there and also having my personal brand and trying to blend it all so it's hard, isn't it? I remember saying to my brother years ago, because he was working in advertising, and I said, I was building up Handle Your Own PR at the time, and I said, I don't want anyone in my personal, to know about my personal life, but I obviously realise I have to build my business. So if I keep them separate, you know, do I just build up Handle Your Own PR the whole time? And he said to me, and it's resonated with me, I've told it to so many people now, and he said, you have to build both at the same time because they feed off each other. Firstly, people associate your business with you and vice versa. But also, should you want to sell it or should you want to move on later, if you're if all of your media and all of your 
awareness is built around the business and you leave that business, you're going to have to start from scratch again. Mm. And that was, I guess, maybe just because I'm an entrepreneur as well and I often do think what will be my next business, I just thought, wow, I do not want that to happen, you know. So, and it, But I find it incredibly uncomfortable and the way I've got around it is by promoting other people and other things, um, which, which I guess with you, you can promote the authors and it does come back to you anyway. People realise it's you posting yeah. about them, but it allows you to not have to do Aunt I Great, which I think is the thing that most women hate the idea of having to do. Well, it's yeah, it's that that Aunt I Great, but also I suppose, you know, very conscious of the family and all yes. of those other sort of <laughs> The other people that see it as well. Yes, and, you know, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, as a woman and as a mother and it's that whole uh um you know the poppy tall poppy syndrome and the yeah, all yep. of that sort and of thing. imposter syndrome and that the you get, syndrome. you know, as a woman as well. Yeah. And All right. Now, a, speaking yeah. of women, along the way in your career, because it sounds like the guy who owned Prepress was fabulous, but have there been any women that stand out to you as wow? You know, they re- really made a difference in my life. They really helped me. Um, when I took over the business, Lisa Edie worked um, was the office manager, and she's yeah. the one that sort of did all the. Um, on-the-spot training, so to speak, put me through my apprenticeship. So she certainly, you know, taught me a hell of a lot. Um, she was and very- And was she very supportive? Very supportive, oh, very yeah, um, old school in the way of doing things. And I think that's, you know, that's really been great for me to learn that and Good I've been grounding, able to build yeah. my own, own way. Um, I've had some really amazing, met some really amazing supportive um, women in business yep. along the way as well. So Alison has been incredibly supportive. She has her own business. Um, she's an entrepreneur supporting small business owners and she's just, you know. What's her name? Alice? Alison v- Vidotto. So oh, she's, she sounds great. Um, and another Italian by another the sounds Ita- of it. Yes, or she's married <laughs> to Italian. She's a Brit. Um, but she's, you know, she's been one of the few people that's known a lot of my personal story as well as my business story. So she's been able to really, you know, hold my hand in those times that have gone, you know, if you start feeling like you're, you're falling down that rabbit hole. Um, so she's been amazing. There's been a lot of, a lot of the women that I've met through, business groups. So there's Jenny Letts who has also been incredibly supportive as well personally and through the business. And I think that that's one of the big things with being an entrepreneur is it's not just about the business. You need people that can support you through all of your life's ups and downs and, you know, the business is a huge part of it but there's everything else that goes on. It can have yes, an impact I, on I, it. I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day from an entrepreneurial woman who'd won, I think she'd won one of LinkedIn top voices of 2023. And she said, that, and it's just such a great post. I've started posting it a bit this week, but it says something like, the noise surrounding success is deafening when you're an entrepreneur, the silence surrounding success is deafening when you're an entrepreneur. And I thought that totally just resonated with me that it's so important to have people that you can and celebrate with and commiserate with if things go wrong. And um, that is one of the challenges for a lot of entrepreneurs because you're often working by yourself. Mm, exactly. 
And it mm. is, it's, you just, you have to have it. It's, if you don't have that support, it is, it's a very lonely, quiet <laughs> existence. Yeah. And you start second guessing yourself all the time until you realize other people are going through similar things, I oh, think. That's, I, it's such a relief, isn't it? Even if it's something awful that's happened to you, that you, to know that you're not the only one it's happened to. And I know I'm reading this book at the moment and a lot of it is, it's about mental health and that. And a lot of it is, you know, how we perceive, you know, what we see on social media and, you know, everybody's, you know, glorious life that they're happy promoting. Happy lives, so that's right, where nothing ever and, goes wrong. And that, and we just don't see, you know, what's underneath. And I think, you know, as a more mature adult, I sort of probably am a bit more aware that it's all just Bullshit. Bullshit. I'm yeah, <laughs> not trying to swear. Um, yeah, I probably shouldn't all have bullshit, sworn But, you know, I really heck? feel for the younger generation who, yeah, you know. Yeah, have grown up with that in front of their faces all the grown time. Grown up with that. You know, if you're a teenager and you're seeing that all the time, you know, that story must Particularly have a- if you're growing up, say, in a, in a um, maybe not a, a particularly happy home environment and all you see is the feeling that everybody else has have got this great, perfect Brady Bunch life and you haven't. Yeah, and that story that they're seeing must have a huge influence mm. on, on them and how they perceive themselves. And I think that's, you know, that's certainly something that we're as a – as a community, really going to have to look at moving forward. You know, yep. what stories are our children seeing? And it's not necessary. it's not the stories from books, it's not the stories that, you know, they're still reading, don't get me wrong, but, yeah, but they're overall watching. they're seeing this made-up crap yeah. that isn't real. Well, it's a bit like I guess in our generation it was the models and the body image issues that people had because mm. all the, all the we, models made it look like everybody – 24-7. You know, we, you know, you might flip through a magazine or, you know, we just did, we didn't have a constant stream of new images popping up on our Instagram no, feed well, or our true. TikTok or whatever. It just, you know, you could turn it off. Yeah. Speaking of turning it off, gosh, you're just giving me perfect segues into the next question each time. <laughs> Talk, talking about turning off, how are you avoiding burnout? So how are you structuring your life to give yourself time out as well, especially when you're juggling three businesses? Um, few non-negotiables. I have two yep. dogs, so they get walked twice a day. Yep. So that That's is, great. you know, yesterday was pouring with rain. We went anyway because they don't understand. It's like, well, no. it's five o'clock. What are you doing? Let's move. Are you saying five o'clock in the morning? No, no, that's in the evening. No, okay, that's we the sort of generally leave at six a.m. in the morning. Um, right, so you're doing two walks a day. And two what walks about weekends a- and nights? Are they sort of off uh, um, non-work areas at times, or depends I'm not what's going good on at night? I, there's absolutely no point unless it's something desperate that I have to yep. do. Um, my I'm brain same. just goes. I I need sleep. If yep. that is also a non-negotiable, I have to have sleep. I'm <laughs> go to bed. My younger self would be crying if she knew how early I went to bed these days. But you know, <laughs> sort of nine nine thirty, I'm sort of in bed with a book. Um, have to, yeah, have to get my sleep. Uh, and weekends, or weekends? are you working through weekends? No, I have. We recently moved house, and I have discovered a joy of gardening. <laughs> 
And once oh. again, my younger self would probably have a few tears going, who is she? What is she well, turned into? Well, it's certainly feeding into all the stereotypes, isn't it? Yes, I go to bed at 9.30 and I like gardening. Do you like knitting as well? Oh, God, no. No, no, no. We haven't gone that far. We have, I, I, I do so. I'm but. only teasing, no. <laughs> no but you no. are running three businesses as yeah, well. I've turned into my mother, God help me. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so weekends. So you have a bit of balance. I do. Look, if I don't have balance, I've learnt the hard way that I can't push myself to those extremes. I've, you know, I I know I've worked out my values and what my values are, and I'm not highly motivated by having a huge, you know, huge bank balance or driving a Ferrari. Look, it'd be nice if someone wants to give me one. (laughs) Please yes, do. Yes, wouldn't turn one down, but no, I wouldn't not prepared turn one down. to sacrifice but having a decent life for one. I, you know, I want to be able to, you know, do things on the weekend. I, you know, if that's pottering around in the garden and, you know, making meals for the family and, or, you know, jumping on the motorbike yeah, and that's going great. for a ride, then, you know, I can do those things. But Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've got to have balance if I don't. What's the no, point? No, very wise. I think as one of the other things is that we get wiser as we get older and you do realise that if you push yourself too hard, the repercussions could be massive. Mm. And um, I've, look, so, I've hit those burnout times where I just can't, I can't yeah. move, I can't move off the bed, I'm just physically and mentally exhausted. Right. And so you know. I know. Yeah. I don't want to do that. It's not okay. fun. We've got one last little, well, a couple of little questions and they're really nothing to do with business, but they can be. Mm-hmm. The first one is, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? Quirky fact. Oh, gosh, there's a lot of quirky facts about me. <laughs> um, Just one will do. <laughs> one, on the, most people, well, for many, many, many years with my children when they are growing up, one thing, thing I told them was they weren't allowed to get on a motorbike. They Right. Just no, under no circumstances, they were my babies. And then now with I met my new partner, Neil, and he rides a motorbike, so I have found joy and jumping on the back <laughs> of that and being free and. Oh, I love that, you rebel. Yeah. And your kids, they're all turning around and going, Mom, you shouldn't be on a motorbike, oh, they, it's really they just dangerous. Laugh. They laugh at me and just go, do you remember? It's like, yes, I remember. We can all change our mind and it's good fun. So That's right. My dad just- was a doctor and he always used to talk about he would never, ever ride a motorbike because he'd worked in emergency and seen people come in from motorbike accidents. And so we kind of grew up with this. And I'm telling you, as soon as he retired, he, he got a motorbike and joined, I can't remember what it's called, Anyhow, there's a motorbike gang for guys over 60 who've oh, retired oh. and he joined that and then my brothers all got their motorbikes and it was just like this motorbike frenzy and I just thought it was so ironic, same yeah. thing, but I can totally yes, understand I, the freedom and the joy from and it. And I do so. like to drive fast, unfortunately. The police don't. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> motorbikes allow you to do that too. <laughs> I'm saying nothing, Jules. No. Well, Anne, it has just been such a delight. I have loved this little chat and our interview. If anyone wants to get hold of you to talk to you about books or any of the things that you're doing, because there's quite a lot, what are the best ways to for them to do that? Don't, don't by the way, give out a phone number, but um, um, websites are good. They can find me on LinkedIn and yep. message me that way, or there's the website, datoripublishing.com.au. That's a great one just to reach out and send me an email and okay. I'll 
get in contact. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And I hope there are people listening now that are inspired to either write a book or to go and have a chat with you about maybe um, doing a book with a couple of friends or something. But either way, um, you would be the woman I would be going to, that's for sure. Thanks, Jules. Yeah, love to. Thank you so much. I always love to hear people's stories. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.